when you ordain an officer in the church, you kind of have to explain the process. And uh, not that you probably need the process uh, explained, explain, but when we have deacon and elder elections, uh, what happens is, is you as a congregation make the nominations. You nominate men that you see are servants as deacons and, and rulers who have the gift of administration and leadership as elders. And then those men are contacted, and those that feel the inward call, not just outwardly called and nominated, go through a training period of, uh, we went a long time this year. And after that training period, they come before the session and give their testimony why they feel called to be an officer, and then they have to, an examination about what they believe. And then once they pass that, we bring them to the congregation and you vote on them. And uh, I am able to say among that whole class, I think the least amount of votes that people got was 88% of the congregation vote. And some got almost 100%. So you confirm the nomination of these men by your vote. And then once that they are elected, uh, and, and then they're to be ordained if they're not uh, ordained already, if they've been ordained, then they're to be installed. Alex has been ordained, which means he's already been set apart for this office in Greenwood at Westminster, and tonight we're installing him as a deacon in our congregation. And so, Alex, I'll ask you to come front and center here and stand and answer these questions. You know, these, these are questions that you not only affirm now, but in the vows that we take, all of us elders and deacons take the same vows, that we also take a vow that if we change our position on any of these things, we make it known to the session. And so it's a good, a good reminder that if any of our doctrine changes, we have to own up to it and see if it's something that is uh, incompatible with the faith that's offered in the gospel. Alex, I ask you these questions. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as they were originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule in faith and practice? Do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt a confession of faith in the catechism of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the scriptures, and do you further promise that at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of these doctrines, you will, of your own initiative, make known to the session the changes which have taken place in your views since the assumption of your vows, do you? Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity, do you? Do you accept the office of deacon in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by God's grace to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer, do you? Do you promise submission to your brethren in the Lord, do you? And do you promise to strive for the purity, the peace and unity and the edification of the church, do you? To the congregation, do you members of this church acknowledge and receive this brother as a deacon? And do you promise to yield to him all honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord, which this office, according to the word of God, 
and the confession of this church entitles him. Do you? If you do, please raise your right hand. Thank you. Okay, we'll ask the session to come forward. And uh, Alex, will you come up here up front and uh, we'll just let you sit. That's either than me or not. No, let's let you kneel. That's more. More God. And the elders come forth and lay hands on him, and David Robinson is going to give him the prayer, installation prayer. And this is not only for uh, our elders, but any elder in the PCA can participate. Let us pray together. Our merciful Father in heaven, we thank you that you have provided a faithful and gifted person like Alex to serve as our deacon. As Alex assumes his responsibilities, fill him with your spirit, endow him with your wisdom, and grant him strength. Lord, we ask that Alex be a faithful worker in your vineyard. Under his guidance, May your church grow in spiritual grace and faith which is open and unashamed and in the committed service that promotes your reign in the world. Help him to perform his duties with enthusiasm and humility. In his work, grant him a sense of sustained awe that is rooted in daily adoration of you, his Lord. Through Alex, may your name be honored and your church be served. Help us, your people, to accept him gladly, encourage him always, and respect him for the sake of your precious son, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me read this for you, give him the right hand of fellowship. I now pronounce and declare that Alex Fletcher has been regularly elected installed as a deacon in this church agreeable to the word of God according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America and as such he is entitled to all encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Give you the right hand of Alex, if you'll sit on the front row, I think Matthew has a charge to you, and then uh, Ted Leininger has a charge to the congregation. Good evening, everyone. Alex, old friend, tonight I am honored and privileged to be a part of this, of this service, this installation service as well as being responsible for giving you your charge. Alex, you have been called by God, by God, to do a noble work. You have been called to serve as an ambassador and servant of Christ and to labor for his bride and for the advancement of his kingdom. It's a weighty call, my friend. And at times it will take more of you than you have to give. But do not despair. Do not be overwhelmed. Instead, be encouraged, because God, as always, is at work. And in your times of weakness, God will show you and everyone around you his perfect righteous power. He will see you through. So with that in mind tonight, Alex Fletcher, I charge you to do these three things. 
to love and honor God, to love your family, and to love his word. Short, simple, if I may, statements, but not simple imperatives. First, loving God. Loving God is something we can't do on our own. I mean, we only love him because he first loved us. As Paul wrote, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, has made you alive in Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It's a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. You, me, we've done nothing on our own. It's because God we can. It's because God I am, we are. Keep your eye and your mind and your heart on that which is eternal. Love God the Father and strive to be like his son Jesus. Do this every day in your thoughts and in your words and your actions. And like I said before, you cannot do this on your own strength. You cannot do this on your own understanding. As we read this morning in Colossians 3, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. So love God. Second, love your family. You cannot take care of the matters of the flock if you cannot first take care of your family or the matters in your home. You can't physically and spiritually feed your family if you can't do the same for, uh, for, for the flock here at Covenant Presbyterian Church. Your family comes first. Most importantly, Meredith. She is the most important person in your life. Your kids are, are second, a close second, but a clear second. Look after her. Nurture her. Pray for her. Love her as Christ loved the church. As for Graves and Betsy and Grant, the scripture says to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Read them the Bible. It's not just a book for adults. Kids' Bible books and devotions are great. I use them, as I'm sure a lot of people here do. They, are, they can be a great tool, but they're no substitution for the inerrant and foul word of God. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 and the following verse after that tells us, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and walk by the way and when you lie down, and when you rise. Catechize your children. And we've, we've had hours and hours of long talks about how we want to raise our boys and raise our girls. We've been given a great tool in our standards, especially the shorter catechism. Catechize your children, or the world will catechize them for you. Discipline them in a godly manner, and when you do that, Aim at their hearts, not at their behavior. If you're like me, you get those things mixed up all too often. Ben mentioned this quote back in our charge, in our, our installation service back in January. And it stuck with me. I know you like a good quote. So from the, the Puritan John Flavel had this quote. A man is what he is in his family. So love God. Love your family. And finally, love his word. God is our chief good, and he is our sole portion. God's word is perfect, sufficient. That makes it necessary. 
It's true. I need its truth. You need its truth. And the people you've been called to lead need its truth. So stay rooted in the word. As we know in Timothy 3.16, 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Trust in the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit and not on your own God-given strengths or understandings. Don't casually read these sacred words, these sacred scriptures, just to memorize facts and figures. Allow it to transform your heart. Another Puritan, George Swinrock, said, The fear of God should stand at the door of your heart to examine all that goes in it. This fear can only come by truly knowing God, and we can know God because he has revealed himself to us in his word. So be shaped by it, so that you can truly serve God's people in a way that will bring glory and honor to him. So Alex, love God, love your family, and love his word. May God bless you when you're calling. Just uh, <clears throat> six or seven hours ago, we were in this room, and uh, Tim preached to us from Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verses 15 through 28, on our great inheritance. Remember that? You remember it. Um, <clears throat> his first point was that uh, Jesus is our only mediator. Secondly, that our Jesus is our in, in eternal inheritance. And thirdly, Jesus is our returning Savior. And he asked us the closing question. Do you remember what that was? I know you remember. How often do you think about Christ's second coming? It's a great question. How often do you think about Christ's second coming? I happen to be thinking about it because as, as I was preparing uh, to give these comments, I hearkened back to the passage of scripture that I used when I offered my charge to the congregation back on January 8th when the other ruling elders and deacons were installed. I used the same passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12, 13, and Verse 25, and the church in Thessalonica found itself a New Testament church just five decades following the ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord in the same situation that any New Testament church finds itself between what we call the now and the not yet, between Christ's first and second coming. And how do we function? How are we to function as that church? Uh, well, we know, Tim's already mentioned it, that we are to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. We're to take advantage and avail ourselves of the ordinary means of grace. The word of God preached. We are to worship. We are to pray. We're to commune with God. And in worship, we're also to participate in the sacraments. 
God has blessed our church, this church, with faithful God-fearing officers, teaching elders, ruling elders, deacons. As I said, January 8th, just a little over 10 short months ago, we ordained three new ruling elders, David A. Rant Jr., Matthew Mullins, Jacob Taylor, four deacons, Jonathan Fortner, Trent Jennings, Aaron Tan, and Wesley Radishoni. And now we have just installed our brother, Alex Fletcher. These men answered God's call on their lives. They were examined by the session. They were elected by the congregation and the church. And now Alex continuing in to recognize God's call on his life uh, has done the same thing. <clears throat> and he is continuing to offer to us and to the church his service and leadership, and we thank him for it. Jeff read uh, Acts chapter 6. That's the account of uh, the establishment of the office of deacon in the New Testament. And in fact, we see both offices in Acts, in those few verses of Acts chapter 6. The apostles, who are the elders of the church, recognize that there's a problem, and so they call together, they convene, uh, the, as it says, the full number of the disciples, that is the church, to pick out, choose seven godly men for mercy ministries and specifically for the daily distribution of food. So the elders recognized that their calling was primarily to the ministry of the word and to prayer and that they needed additional men, an additional office to focus on the ministry of meeting the physical needs of the people. But both offices bear the authority of Christ, the king of the church, <clears throat> and that they were both established by Christ in the initial organization of the New Testament church. Christ's authority established both offices, elders and deacon, and Christ's authorization and establishment of the office of deacon brings us now to my charge to you, the church, regarding the promise that we all just made when we answered in the affirmative questions in Book of Church Order, chapter 24. What we promised specifically was to yield to Alex that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which his office entitles him. 1 Thessalonians 12:13, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Paul asked the church in Thessalonica to respect, that is, honor, church workers and leaders who are over you by their calling and by their ordination and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, part of honoring and respecting Alex and his office involves encouraging him, encouraging Alex by helping him in his ministry, and I'm thankful to be able to be part of a church that I know and I've seen for many years. You are very good at that, at helping the mercy ministries of this church to prepare food, to help move people when they're in need, to give money over and beyond what's uh, 
might be expected normally to meet people's needs, and I'm very thankful for that. And uh, the deacons and Alex are grateful for that as well. <clears throat> but another part of honor honoring Alex is helping him in his ministry is being uh, deferential to him. Deferential is another word uh, for obedience. It's a synonym. And uh, it's difficult outside of the military or perhaps outside of employer-employee relationships to think about adults obeying each other. We typically think about that uh, in parent-child relationships and particularly in young children. But there may be instances when Alex's leadership and that of uh, the diaconate needs to be followed, if for no other reason than because Christ in these verses instructs us to obey. As I said, it's a joy to be part of a church in which love and honor and respect are practiced consistently and in which so many are willing to help, to encourage, to support, to lift up believers and and non-believers alike. And verse 5, or verse 25 of First uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, Paul says this, Brothers, pray for us. Now that's my last point, but it's not by any means the least point. We need to pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray at all times. Pray when you wake up in the morning before you even, your feet even hit the bed, or hit the floor out of bed. Pray at night when your head hits the pillow and all times in between. Pray, pray, and pray some more. Pray for Alex. He's going to need your help. Pray for all your deacons. Pray for your elders. Pray for each other. Certainly, pray for your family, your loved ones, your coworkers. Prayer is how we communicate with God. It is how he, he hears uh, our petitions and is aware of our needs. Not that he doesn't know them already, but we, through prayer, come to understand God's will in our lives and in the lives of those we love. So let us continuously labor in love. Let us labor in encouragement. Let us labor in obedience and labor in prayer for Alex and for our officers and for each other as we seek to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Join me in prayer, please. Our God and our Father, we come before you tonight. We are humbled by your grace in our lives. We are your church, the church that you have called to this particular place in Cleveland, Mississippi. You have called us together. You have called us as family, as elders and deacons to serve you in this community for your glory and to enjoy you forever. We ask now that you would be with Alex, we thank you that you called him and called Meredith, called Alex into this office and that you have used him in the past as a deacon and that you are continuing uh, to call him and that he continues to serve and acknowledge your calling in his life as a deacon. May you use him in a mighty way. May you give him great wisdom, Lord, we pray, and be with us as a congregation that we might uh, lift him up, lift up Alex, support him, obey him, respect him, and do so for our other uh, officers as well. Lord, we thank you again for your goodness, for your church, and most of all, for your son, Jesus. 